Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 11. We started on this a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to spend a little bit of time just going over what faith is and how faith operates. And, and, and we started out by talking about why it's important to understand faith. Because everything that we receive from God, we receive through faith. And I started out by explaining to you, faith does not move God. You can't move God. He's already moved. The book in your lap tells you what He's done. God's moved. He's done His part. But faith is the, is the means by which we receive what God's done for us. And we talked about the Bible tells us in Hebrews, in Ephesians chapter 2, that, that we are saved, that, that we're saved by grace. You're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace. Grace is God's disposition towards us, whereby God gives us what we do not deserve. Aren't you glad we don't get what we do deserve? But we receive it by faith. Faith is the means by which we receive what God has provided for us. And I used the example of a fribble, which some people didn't know what it was, an awful, awful frap milkshake. It's a cup with ice cream and milk and syrup all mixed. You know what they are with me? All right, I got you. I know I am. But in that cup, it doesn't do you any good. You've got to get it from the cup into your mouth. And, and they make them so thick. In fact, some of them come with spoons. But they also come with a straw. straw. I knew some of you would have that. Okay? <laughs> and what you do is you take the straw and you put the straw in the milkshake. But if you just stick the straw in the milkshake, it doesn't do any good, does it? You have to actually take the straw. This, I know this is hard stuff now. Just follow me. <laughs> and you've got to put the straw in your mouth. And even that's not good enough. Right? Even with the shake in the cup and the straw in the shake and the other end of the straw in your mouth, it still doesn't do you any good. You're looking at the shake, but the only way that shake does you any good is if you then draw the shake through the straw into your mouth. And then you have to swallow it. Well, the shake is what God's provided for you. It's His grace and all the things His grace has provided. The straw is the vehicle for getting that grace into your life. But that faith doesn't do you any good unless you act on it, it. which is when you draw it to yourself. And as we go through this study, you'll see those elements. So faith is crucial because God can't do any more for you than He's already done. We have this mentality, if I just do this, if I just do this, it's it's what we learn from our parents and our teachers. If I do what I'm supposed to do, then I'll get what I want. Right? So we, you go into a new job setting, you go into something, we're all trying to figure out what the rules are. How do they operate here? And in a family, I was the oldest of five boys. 
So I had to figure it out first. So when the younger ones wanted to know how you got things done, they come to the older one because I had figured the system out. I knew when to approach mom. I knew how to approach mom in order to get what we wanted. Everybody with me? Oh, don't look at me so holy. The problem is we bring that over into marriage. So we learned each other's good moods and we knew when to ask and how to set it up and get her just right positioned and get him just right positioned. And we know how to kind of, you know, we know how to work the system with each other. That's called manipulation. It destroys intimacy because it says there's no trust. See, if I trust you, I can just ask. And the reason I have to manipulate you is because I don't trust you that you're going to do what I'm going to ask you to do. We learn all that behavior. And we think suddenly we become a child of God and we're going to leave that out there and come in here and say, Oh, God, I just trust you. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to bring all those learned patterns into our relationship with God. Which is why the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, learning to think differently. And we spent a bit of time last year on Sunday mornings just talking about the fact that the Bible says God is not a man. That's one of the most profound statements in the Bible because it totally changes how you have to think about God. You've got to take everything you've ever learned about relationships through people and put it aside when it comes to relating to God because he ain't one of them. You can't manipulate him. Listen to your prayers sometimes. They they can be really edifying to understand what your own attitudes is. Because I find myself trying to manipulate God by giving all the reasons why he ought to answer my prayer. When all he said is what? Ask. He doesn't say ask and give me reasons. He just said ask. The only condition is you ask, you must believe. And so we we do this with God. And the point here is this. There's nothing you can say, nothing you can do to convince God to do something any more than he's already done for you. He's done everything he can possibly do for you. Then how come I don't have it? Because it's in the cup. See, if you're trying to get him to put it in the cup, then you don't already believe it's in the cup. It's so important. If your mental attitude is, God, I want to come to you because I need to get you to give me what I need, then you already are starting out in unbelief. Because his word says he's already given it. His word says he's already given it. We receive it by faith. So the cup's got the fribble in it or the frap or whatever you want to call it and we're just complaining that I really want one and it's sitting in the cup and all we got to do is pick up the straw. It's up to us to draw it. 
So what, that's why it's so important to have an understanding of what the Bible says about faith, what it is and what it is not. So we started out talking about that. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, is a definition of faith. In the Greek, the order of the words in the Greek language is very significant because it gives you a clue of what the most important thing is because in Greek, they'll put the most important word first. See, in our English language, there's an order of the word to our sentences. The subject comes first, then the verb, and then the predicate in normal speech, unless you're from Rhode Island. (laughs) In some languages, in Latin, for instance, and as I understand it in German, the nouns first, the predicates next, and the verbs at the end. Is that right, people who speak German? So you know what you're talking about, you know what you did it to, but you don't know what you did to it until you come to the end of the sentence. I know in Latin that's true. Well, in Greek the order of the sentence is is organized in order to communicate an emphasis. Now, I'm going through all that for you to understand this. In this verse, the first word in Greek in this verse is the word is. Now, in your Bible, it says, now faith is, because that's in our English grammar or syntax. That's the correct way to do it. But in the Greek text, the first word is is. What that tells us is, that is in, this is intended to be a definition of what faith is. And that's important to understand because that means the key elements are going to be in this verse. So it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Two weeks ago when we met, we talked about substance and what that means. The word substance means something that is in something that you can't see. And we told the word, the root of that word was to distill something down. So in medicine or in in, in the chemical lab, sometimes they'll take a substance and they'll shake it up and they'll let it sit. And then their particles will begin to, to settle down. It's called sediment. And when it sits long enough, you'll see it. You'll see it settle to the bottom. And then you can see the difference between the fluid. And the, and the substance, the serum and the substance of your blood or whatever they're separating out. Now the key is that sediment was, always, was, already, was in the fluid but you couldn't see it. But just because you see it, couldn't see it did not mean it wasn't there. That's what that word substance means. But then it goes on and we talked about this last time. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now keep your marker in Hebrews 11 and go with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to take our time and go through this step by step because we faith is all over the Bible and if you don't understand this, then you won't know how to operate in it. Faith is not an emotion. It's not a state of mind. It's not something you work up. It's not a formula. And you operate in it every day. Every day you operate in it. How many of you ever gone through a drive-thru in a restaurant? McDonald's, something like that? That's the greatest act of faith there is. (laughs) 
You pull up in your car, somebody you can't see says, what do you want? You're talking to this box. And they take your order, then they say it's going to be $7.48 or whatever, or $14.20 or whatever it is for your family. You pull up to the next window, there's a live person there usually with their hand out. There's no food in that hand. And you take your $14.28 and you hand it over to somebody you've never met before. And they close the window. You've talked to a box you can't see. They've told you what you've got to pay. You took it out of your wallet. You gave it to somebody you don't know. They've closed the door and they say, move on. And you pull up with great confidence to that next window. So much so that in the freezing cold, you put your window down. And you're expecting them to open that window and handle your box of, you know, your bag full of Big Macs or whatever it is. You're expecting that to happen, aren't you? That's faith. Don't tell me faith's hard or some formula. We operate. It's just when we get into the things of God that we get out of our head and into some realm. I don't really understand why we do it. Did you find Romans 8 yet? I just wanted to give you time. Verse 24. For we are saved in this hope. The hope that he's talking about is our future redemption of our bodies. For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? So what Paul's saying here is that when you're, you only hope for things that you don't have, that are not in your hands. The word hope in Greek is a word that's different than the, our use of hope. Our word, our word hope can be very, luke, very weak. Oh, are you going to be able to come to the men's meeting on Saturday? Well, I hope so. That doesn't give me a lot of confidence. <laughs> but the word hope in Greek is a confident, steadfast expectation. Kind of the way you are at the second drive-in window. When you have a confident expectation that that bag in that person's hands with that funny hat on their head and that funny uniform, if you work for McDonald's, forgive me, I know you have to wear it. But just, I'm, just, I'm trying to make a point. We've got confidence in somebody wearing a funny hat with a uniform they never wear anywhere else. We've handed them their, our money and we have a confident, steadfast expectation they're going to hand us our Big Mac. So Paul's saying is, if, if you're hoping for it, it's because you don't have it in your hands right now. That's what this verse is saying. Now go back to Hebrews 11. Faith gives substance 
or tangibility to something that's hoped for. In other words, that, that you cannot see. It is the evidence of things that are not seen. And we talked about the point that that word evidence is a legal term. When I was a lawyer and I would go into court to try something, try a case, I'm trying to prove to either a judge or a jury, I'm trying to prove something to them that happened. And the way you prove it is with something called evidence because the judge didn't see it happen. So I've got to give him something that he can touch or that he can hear or that he can see or a jury that proves that what I told him happened actually did happen because he can't see the thing itself. So the evidence is a substitute for being able to see the thing itself. For, and I didn't do these kind of cases. But suppose it were a murder, it was a murder case. Since neither the jury nor the judge saw the defendant stab the victim, the prosecutor has to present evidence that points towards the fact that that's what happened. Because nobody saw it. So they've got to give the jury something that they can see or they can hear that's a substitute for actually seeing it happen. Are you with me? All right. Now, we can understand why we need to do that in a court of law because we understand that what the crime that occurred, nobody in the courtroom actually has physical evidence or saw it happen. Then why do we need this with God? Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We looked at this last time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll start in verse 16. Therefore, he's talking about the persecutions he went through. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man, his body, is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, he's talking about two different parts of him. He's saying, even though my outward man, and what's that? That's his body, is perishing. I'll put it in non-spiritual terms. Getting older. Now, I don't know about you, but I have had the occasion to look at a picture of myself. In fact, I've got one in my study in there with Pastor Sam, and I was uh, when Miriam Brown was here, they were, her, her son was looking at it, and I went and looked, oh my goodness, I had dark hair. <laughs> and that was only 10 years ago. And I, it, the picture's small enough, I, can't, I probably had more of it too. If I look at pictures 20 years ago, well, let's put it this way. As you get older, Mary, she used to say this, the things that used to be north tend to go south. <laughs> we'll just let you draw your own conclusions on that. You know, your face start. That's why they call it a face lift, because it's sunk. <laughs> okay? It's not shocking that that happens, because, in fact, science will tell you, medical science will tell you that the process of death begins when you're born. Isn't that exciting? 
But that's the body. Paul says, though the outer man is perishing, there's another man. There's an inward man who's being renewed or getting stronger day by day. For this momentary light affliction, and we talked about what that was. It wasn't so momentary and it wasn't so light by our point of view. But Paul's perspective is all this stuff he went through was just momentary. And it was light. Why? In comparison to something. You ever notice we evaluate things by comparing them to other things? Some of you in here right now feel cool. I don't mean ooh, cool, I mean, you know, cold. <laughs> some of you may feel cool also, but that's not what I'm talking about. And some of you may feel warm. But you know what? It's, it's only one temperature. We feel cold or warm in comparison to other people in other situations. Most of you would not consider yourself rich because you're comparing yourself to people that you've seen on TV, you know, the lifestyles of the rich and famous, that kind of thing. But if I were to take any of you into some of the places we've gone in Mexico, they would consider you filthy rich. A bicycle makes you rich. So it's by comparison. And Paul is looking at the things he's gone through the beatings and the shipwrecks and the persecutions and the humiliations and all the suffering that he went through, and by comp- but by what he looks at, it's temporary. Going through it, see, what you're going through looks long or short, looks difficult or easy by comparing it to whatever you're comparing it to or measuring it by. So if you've lived a life that's kind of comfortable and easygoing, and suddenly you hit a a pothole in your life and you've lost your job and you don't have all the comforts you used to have. Oh my gosh, my world's been turned upside down because you're comparing it to what you used to have. But the vast majority of people in the world would love to be in your pothole. Because compared to where they're used to living, that's a palace. You, You understand what I'm saying? So Paul's point of view is he's measuring what he's going through by something other than we tend to measure what we're going through. We measure what we're going through by the best we've ever had or what we see other people around us having. Paul's measuring what he's going through by where he's going. Paul is aware of something that you and I understand mentally but we don't live our lives conscious of. And that's this. There is more than one realm of existence. Genesis chapter 1 starts out with these profound words. In the beginning. Did you ever ask yourself the beginning of what? I ask those kind of questions. But that's how I learn some things. It's not the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning of what? God created Well, but God's always existed. So what is it that God created that's at the beginning of? He created a new realm of existence that we refer to as the material realm. This is is a foundation for understanding why faith is so critical. 
What Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is, uh, 4 is, I'm aware that in me are two realms of existence. The realm of existence that we consider 99% of the time that we're aware of is the natural material realm. That's what God created in Genesis chapter 1. The material realm, because He made the first man's body out of what? The dust of the earth, out of the substance of of this material realm. And what part of him did he make? His body. So the body of that first man was made out of the material substance of this earth. And that's what your body's made out of. That's what Paul's body was made out of. Now let me explain to you these two different realms. The natural material realm, which is the realm that you and I are used to, that we, that we are consider normal is a realm, the way, best way to know what, whether, what realm it's in, is it's, the material realm is something that you can detect with one or more of your five senses. So if you can see it, if you can hear it, if you can touch it, if you can taste it, or you can smell it, it's of this material realm. Because these are natural material senses that pick up and identify that something exists in this realm and something about it. That's why Paul's talking about things that are, exist that are not seen and things that are seen. Things that are seen are not necessarily seen with your eyes. It's referring to your senses. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that exist but that your five senses can't pick up. Paul says this outward man, now this outward man's his body. Now let's just do a little quiz here since you've learned so much right now. What realm is your physical body from? That should be a clue. Well, can you see it? Can you touch it? Can you taste it? Can you smell it? And you can hear it. That covers all five of them. So this body that you're looking at of mine and the one you're wearing is of this natural material realm. It's what God made Adam's body of. But then in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says he took that body. I have this picture in my mind. I don't know this what happened. It's like he held it up under the armpits. Like this. And it says he breathed into him the breath of life. He took his own breath, his own life, and he breathed it out of his lungs into the lungs of this pile of dirt of material substance and it became a living being. The Psalms say that you remove the spirit and the man dies. It says when Jesus died, nobody took his life from him. It says he gave up or released his spirit. Your spirit, this being inside of you, is what animates and makes alive your physical body. That spirit being who is in you is not of this material substance world. Because you can't see it, you can't hear him, you can't touch him, you can't taste him, or whatever else one I missed. Okay? Smell him. In this room right now 
are other beings. We know because the Bible says that we have an angel. And I believe there's more than angels in here than there are people. There may well be an angel behind me right now. I may have hit him, I may not. I don't know. Why? Because I can't make physical contact with him unless something supernatural happens. When something supernatural happens, now either my senses are speeded up or that realm is slowed down so that my natural senses can now detect something that they cannot normally or naturally detect. What Paul's saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 is that in 17 is that there are there's an outer me which is my body which is in the process of decaying. It's the one that's going through the suffering. But he said, there's another man on the inside of me. Peter calls him the hidden man of the heart. There's another man on the inside of me, and this man is not of this material substance world. This man is of another realm of existence. See, some things about the two different realms. That that other realm is called the spirit realm. The spirit realm is eternal. It's not dying or passing away. The natural realm is the natural realm is under a curse that was handed down when Adam and Eve sinned. That's what if you go before the verse in Romans 8 we're talking about, he talks about the groanings that this earth is going through. It's the groanings under the weight of that curse and of sin. And our physical bodies deal with that groaning to this. And as you get older and get out of bed in the morning, sometimes you feel that groaning. You'll hear people, if you go into nursing homes, you'll hear people just groaning just to move around. Why? Well, they didn't do that when they were 12. There's a groaning because of there's a decay, but it's in this natural material realm. But see, what we do is, because that's the realm that our senses are so sensitive to, we kind of assume that's the real realm. But it's not. It's the temporary realm. That's what Paul's saying. Because this, he says, this, that's why he calls it a momentary light affliction. Because the affliction is to his body, which is only going to be here for a short period of time compared to eternity. If you live to be 120 years of age, that's not even a dent in eternity. But your inward man will live forever. And becoming more spiritual is not becoming, oh, oh, I feel the Lord doing. No, becoming more spiritual is learning to walk more conscious of the inner man and less conscious of the outer man. To be dominated by that inner man who when you're born again is born again in the image of God. When you are born again, that's the part of you God changed. But because we're either not aware of it or we're aware of it intellectually, but we don't spend much time conscious of that inner man, feeding that inner man, being sensitive to that inner man, listening to that inner man. We go through our life just with them in their dormant.
Now, if the natural realm, the material realm, is a realm that's detected by our five senses, that means, therefore, by definition, the spirit realm is a realm where things exist, but they can't be detected by your natural physical senses. But that doesn't mean they don't exist. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. We're going to see those elders and the testimony that they obtained. Look at verse 3. By faith we understand that the world's, this natural realm, was framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen, now what things are seen? What realm is that? That's the natural material realm. So that the things which are seen, this natural material realm, were made from things that was not seen. In other words, this material realm was created out of the spirit realm. So which existed first? The spirit realm existed before this material, natural realm existed. The greatest evidence is Genesis 1.1. And in the beginning, God created... In the beginning... God, in the beginning, that means God had to be there before the beginning. Right? So, because God is spirit, that tells us that the spirit realm was here before the material realm was here. What this verse is saying is God created this material realm out of things you can't... He didn't go to Grossman's or Lowe's. He didn't announce to the angels, well, we're going to create the material realm. They took out plans that they got from an architect, ran out and found the, 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 the raw material. See, that's how we make things. Even chemists, they may create a new substance. They don't create anything new. They take one thing and may change it chemically through reactants and agents, or they may change it physically, but they don't make anything. Because to make something means there was one moment nothing, and the next moment there was something. Only God can do that. So what I want you to understand is there exists a realm that existed before this earth was ever created. That realm is eternal, that realm is more real because it's existed before. Because it's not changing. This realm's changing. Just look in a mirror. Why do you, do you ever notice you have to upkeep your house? I seem to have to paint my house every two years. The last time I did it was with 20-year lasting paint. Two years later, it's peeling. Because <laughs> it faces east and there's salt. I'm not on the water, but salt air blows on it. And the sun. It needs work all the time. Did you ever notice your body needs work? I bathed it yesterday. Why do I have to do it today? 
Because it now needs to be bathed again. It needs work all the time. The spirit realm isn't changing. I'm not saying it's not growing and increasing, but it's not in the process of decay. That's why Paul says, though this outer man, this body, is changing and perishing, there's another man in me. There's a spirit man in me, and he's being renewed or getting stronger day by day. And the next verse goes on to say, For we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. Now, I can understand how you can look not at things that are seen by just closing your eyes. We do that all the time. The bills come in, I don't want to look at that. There are things that come to us we just don't want to look at, so we just close our eyes. So I can understand how you can look not at things that can be seen. But the real trick is the next part of the verse. So while we look not at things that are seen, but at the things that are... How do you look at something that's not seen? Because because you're not looking... The seen and not seen is referring to a realm of existence. So what he's saying is, here's how our viewpoint is. This is why I can look at all that I've gone through and call it a momentary light affliction. Why? Because what I focus on, what I pay attention to, what I live by is not the realm that I can see because that's temporary short. It's passing away. It's like gone like that. This year I'll be 65 years. I don't know where that went. This year we'll be married 43 years. We've been looking back on when we were first engaged. I don't know where it went. Talking to someone in the store the other day, and we were just joking about the fact that it seems like just yesterday we were going approaching year 2000 in the start of a new millennium. We're now a decade into it. Where did that go? It's going faster and faster. Why? Because that's this realm. Before I was saved, I remember Sunday nights were scary to me. I don't know why, just because it was like a it was like a moment that I would remember from the week before, and it would dawn on me. And I was 26 and 27 when this was happening to me. I said, "Oh my goodness, another week's gone. I can't get it back. It's like my life is slipping through my fingers." And but see, I had no eternal perspective then because I wasn't born again. I didn't have an eternal future. So what Paul's saying is he's learned that there's a perspective, that there's a realm of existence out there that's eternal. That's where your inheritance is. That's where all the promises of God are for you. That's where all that God has laid up for you is in that realm. Yes, we can make withdrawals for the things we need now, but there's something so much better, so much more wonderful out there. That Paul's whole perspective was on that realm. And the reward he was going to get for being faithful in this realm for just a short period of time to do what he was supposed to do. Because the reward was eternal. So what allows us, since we live in a body that's so aware of the, through our senses of all the stuff that's going around us, what allows us to live in this body conscious of and communicating with and receiving from another realm that we cannot detect with our senses. 
What's the phone line? What's the, what's, what's the, what's the email address? What's, what's the website address that allows us to communicate and receive and receive transfers into our senses of a realm that our senses cannot detect, but it's real. And everything God has for you and is designed for you and is made for you, first of all, exists in that realm. When I said at the beginning tonight, God, there's nothing God's going to create for you that He hasn't already created. It's all waiting for you. How come I can't see it? Because it's not in this realm yet. But does that mean it does not exist? Not at all. So how can I function in this realm? In my day in and day activities where I've got to relate to other people and make decisions. How can I walk in this realm with a confidence that what God says is mine is mine when I can't see it? That's what faith is for. Because faith gives substance in this realm so that I can reach over Say, if I wake up in the night and I want to know that Anita's there, all I have to do is reach over and just touch and see if she's there. If she's not up doing something, and touch, when I reach over and touch her hand or touch her, I know she's there. I can touch her to know she exists and is there. Because what I'm touching is the material, natural realm, her hand. How do I know God's there? Because God's in that realm. I can't reach out and touch his hand. So I have to touch him in some other method that gives me the same kind of confidence and substance and substantiality to me that I could if I could reach out and touch his hand. And that's what faith is for. For faith gives substance, tangibility, evidence to my senses in this realm of something that's actually existing in a realm I cannot detect with my senses. This is why it's so important to understand these two different realms. Because See, that's what Romans 8.29 is saying. That Romans 8.24 is saying. Because if it's already in this realm, if I already have it, I don't need to hope for it. Because my senses can detect it. I don't need to have hope that I can have a silver pen. Because I can see it. I can touch it. So I don't need any other evidence. My senses give me evidence. But when God says healing is mine and my body's telling me something else, I have to learn that I can trust what God says in spite of what my body's telling me because what God has for me is right now in that other realm. And I can walk in this realm as if that's so because my faith allows me to look into that realm and see with my eyes of my faith that that healing is mine now. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence, the proof to my senses in this realm of things that I cannot see or detect with my senses. For we look not. This is the key to success with God. We look not. We pay attention not. We walk not 
We look not at things that are seen at this material realm to decide where we stand with God. You get up in the morning and you don't look, you don't, based on how you feel, to decide where you are with God because your feelings are in this realm. I don't feel like God loves me. God didn't say you'd feel like He loves you. He said He loves you. You receive that by faith, not feelings.